Don Mockholz, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 119 for the week of April 13th, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, April 13th, the moon will be 90% full in our evening sky, rising a couple of hours before sunset. Then it will be up for most of the night. The moon will be full on Saturday, April 16th at 1854 Universal Time, a Saturday night full moon. By next Tuesday, April 19th, the moon will be rising three or four hours after sunset, giving us a couple of hours of dark sky before the moon rises. With the moon full on Saturday night, This week is a good time to photograph or video the moonrise. It lasts only about two minutes, but it is a sight to see. On Saturday, the full moon will rise about the time the sun sets, so the sky will still be bright when the moon rises. But the next night, Sunday night, the moon rises about an hour later, and the sky will be darker giving some contrast between the moon and the sky. Monday night, the moon rises about an hour after Sunday's moonrise, and the sky will be even darker. Image the moonrise with a telephoto lens or your cell phone held up to a small telescope. Or simply watch it with the unaided eye or through binoculars. In our evening sky... The planet Mercury passes 2 degrees north of Uranus on Sunday, April 17th. This will occur only 15 degrees from the sun, so you're going to have some trouble seeing this event. Mercury will continue to get higher in the sky each night until the end of the month. It is the only object that bright in that part of the sky, so if you see a bright star in your western sky as evening falls... It's probably Mercury. In the morning sky, two more planets enter the mix as Jupiter and Neptune, within a degree of each other, are now rising during astronomical twilight. That gives us five planets in the morning sky, Saturn, Mars, Venus, Neptune, and Jupiter. Now, Neptune is faint, and you'll need a good set of binoculars to see it. But the other four planets should be easily visible to the unaided eye. And this is rare. And it might be a good idea to get out and see this because it doesn't happen every day. But these four planets form almost exactly a straight line for the next few weeks. Working our way from up in the sky down to the eastern horizon... Saturn is first, then Mars, then the very bright Venus, followed by Jupiter rising last. 
Venus will move rapidly over the next few weeks, and it is approaching Jupiter. As it does so, it moves from north of this straight line southward, it will fall into line created by the other three planets. The two planets, Jupiter and Venus, will be very close together on April 30th. Not this weekend, but next weekend around April 23rd, the motion of Venus will take it to almost an exact straight line of these four planets. Between now and the 23rd, take a look in the morning sky for these four planets. Get out there about 75 minutes before sunrise to see all four, and you'll need a low eastern horizon. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, April 13th through Tuesday, April 19th? It depends upon where you are located. This week we have two zones. Yes, only two. All you need to know is your latitude. Between 25 and 65 degrees north, you will not see the International Space Station at all. Between 25 degrees north and 55 degrees south, you'll see the ISS in either your morning sky or in your evening sky. And, and for some of you, there is some overlap, and it will be in both your evening and morning sky the same night. To determine where you will find it in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com, enter your location, then click on ISS. With the bright moon in the sky, we will not be looking at comets this week. We will talk about them in our next podcast. I want to spend a few minutes talking about the difference between amateur and professional astronomers. It has been for centuries that if you are into astronomy, you are either an amateur or a professional astronomer. There are just these two classes. Now, the class of amateur astronomer can be subdivided into casual, novice, beginner, intermediate, student, expert, or however other ways you want to slice it. But you're either an amateur or a professional. I am an amateur astronomer. I've been an amateur astronomer since I was about eight years old and took an interest in astronomy. I will always be an amateur astronomer. I will never be a professional astronomer. I did consider becoming one when I was in high school, but decided against it. Amateur is derived from a French word for lover of something. So an amateur astronomer pursues astronomy out of love for the field, not for pay. In the 1950s, the only other amateurs I had ever heard of were amateur ham radio operators. Nowadays, you have amateur athletes, both at the Olympics and in college, amateur golfers, amateur actors and musicians, and so on. I have friends and relatives who are bothered by calling me an amateur. <laughs> Why, they say, you're no amateur. But 
Let's look up the definition of amateur. There are two main ones, and I'm thinking that people get them mixed up. The first is an amateur is one who engages in a pursuit, study, science, or sport as a pastime rather than a profession. That's me and thousands of amateur astronomers. But here's the other definition. An amateur is a person inexperienced or unskilled in a particular activity. That is not me, nor is it the amateur astronomers whom I know. I'm thinking that this is the only definition of amateur some people know. So when they hear that someone is an amateur astronomer, they think he or she doesn't know what they are doing. When we look at astronomers of the past, well, Charles Messier, he was a professional astronomer. So was Edwin Hubble and E.E. E. Bernard. How about this? Clyde Tombaugh, discoverer of Pluto. Was he a professional astronomer? Yes, he was employed as an astronomer at Lowell Observatory when he found the object. He had no degree in astronomy, but he was employed as an astronomer. Leslie Peltier was an amateur astronomer. He discovered comets and made variable star estimates in the 1900s, and he worked at a furniture factory. Those who visually found comets in the 1960s and on were most all amateur astronomers. We cannot be fooled by the astronomical equipment that someone has. Some amateurs have very expensive observatories and telescopes with expensive imaging equipment, but they are still amateurs. To some, that might seem unfair as some individuals can afford to buy expensive equipment and others cannot. There's nothing you can do about that. Life isn't fair. Get used to it. The only question is, do they own and control this equipment? Now, I, now I want to make a slight detour. We're still going to talk about amateur and professional astronomers, but in the context and at the moment, they discover a comet. Two questions not fully related. Will a person get their name on the comet? And will they be eligible for an award for amateurs? That is to say, you must have your name attached to the comet before you are considered for the award. So you can find a comet and get your name on it and get the amateur award or not get the award. Or you can discover a comet and not get your name on it then you're not eligible for the award. In a minute, I'll have some examples. On June 11, 1998, the Central Bureau for Astronomical Telegrams announced the Edgar Wilson Award, a cash prize to be distributed each year to amateurs who discover comets. But you have to be an amateur to be eligible for the award. You must use your own equipment, which is to say, if the discovery is made as a result of information produced or prepared by some other person, 
you will not qualify for consideration. According to those rules for this award, this is what is meant by amateur. Now, here's some examples. So a professional astronomer goes home one night and takes his telescope out and discovers a comet. He is eligible for the award because he was not acting in the capacity of a professional astronomer, but as an amateur. This was because he was using his own equipment on his own time. He can also get his name on the comet. Now, here's another example, <laughs> very common. It happens almost every week. A person is examining SOHO, S-O-H-O, images and finds a comet. This has happened actually over 4,000 times in the last 25 years. SOHO is a satellite orbiting the sun that monitors the solar vicinity. The images are available on the internet and amateur astronomers all over the world examine these images looking for comets. In these instances, this is not considered an amateur discovery because the instrument was owned by someone else and the images were controlled by someone else. Also, these individuals do not get their name on the comet. All of these comets are known as SOHO, followed by a number. Okay, here's another example. Someone is looking through a telescope at Mount Wilson Observatory, and they discover a comet. That is not considered an amateur discovery because that person used a professional instrument. But they could get their name on the comet. Here's another one. An amateur astronomer is using a remote telescope, such as SLU, S-L-O-O-H, which he has rented. And he controls it, and he images the sky in a place of his choosing. He finds a comet. My understanding is that this is not considered an amateur discovery, but he could get his name on it. Let me see if I can clarify this further. All of my comets have been discovered in an amateur capacity. I have used my own equipment and on my own time. I've never been a professional astronomer, not even close. None of the following makes me a professional astronomer. I've taken one astronomy course at Diablo Valley Community College in Pleasant Hill, California in 1971. Taking one course does not make me a professional astronomer. I did teach astronomy classes at a junior college. The adult education class between 2005 and 2017 and I got paid a small amount for the six sessions each semester. That was not my primary income. It amounted to only about $500 per semester. And I taught at the Placer Nature Center in Auburn, California, about five nights per year for 20 years, making about $30 per night. Teaching and getting paid to teach an astronomy course does not make you a professional astronomer. My careers come nowhere close to being a professional astronomer. So here you go. <laughs>
Here's a quick autobiography. My whole work file in three paragraphs. Take notes, I will go slow. I started with a paper route at the age of 12. That was followed by a summer with a maintenance team for a school district. Then I began working at a fast food restaurant beginning the week I graduated from high school. This was followed by three years in the U.S. Army as a meteorological observer. I recorded the weather. Then back to the fast food restaurant in polishing glass blocks at Berkeley Lawrence Lab. In early 1976, I moved to San Jose, California and began working in an optical lab making eyeglasses. This was followed by fitting contact lenses and then to a laser and optics lab. That was really enjoyable work. My move to Koufax, California resulted in employment in two optic labs, two fast food restaurants, and then a laser company named Coherent. In the early 2000s, I switched careers and became a real estate appraiser. This sounds like a lot of jobs, but I did what I had to do to keep food on the table. I also did other work, self-employment stuff, a second jobs, like making birdhouses in the shape of railroad cabooses. We called our little company Makewood Products, a variation of my last name. And I wrote books on Comet Hunting, Comet Hey Bop, and the Messe Marathon. Believe me, you do not make much money on astronomy books, at least I don't. In 2018, I thought I retired. <laughs> but when my siblings sued my wife and I, and we did nothing wrong over my dad's will, and we finally settled to get rid of them, I ha had to do something to refill the retirement nest egg. So I became an FAA-licensed drone pilot and began a drone business for real estate. I've been doing that now for two years, and I love it. And I recently accepted a part-time position writing for Earth Sky. I do this as a writer, not as a professional astronomer. And I have this podcast. None of these things make me a professional astronomer. Amateur astronomers often do stuff that professional astronomers find very useful. You will find many professional astronomers depend upon us to supply the data. We have more telescopes, more time, and we're scattered around the world. For more than a century, amateur astronomers have been estimating the brightness of variable stars, making meteor counts, imaging asteroids and comets and calculating orbits, searching for comets on SOHO images, monitoring the moon and planets for impacts and unusual activity, and recording sunspots on the sun. Nowadays, we are sometimes called citizen scientists, as many astronomy programs have been set up for amateur astronomers to participate in. 
I do my astronomy apart from programs set up for citizen, citizen scientists, as do many other amateur astronomers. So yeah, I'm an amateur astronomer and proud of it. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? See Jupiter, Venus, Mars, and Saturn forming a straight line in the morning sky. See Mercury in the evening sky and photograph the moonrise this week. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 119 for April 13th, 2022. I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at dontheastronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that's dontheastronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. More planets stuff will be happening in our morning sky and Mercury in the evening sky. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.